Welcome to our political moment, the stories behind the structure. Each episode, we bring you stories from around Philadelphia that demonstrate how structural oppression is ingrained in our lives. We started this podcast on a mission to demonstrate how the universal is personal and how the personal is political. The purpose of this first season was to bring to life how dominant narratives and structural oppression play out across the city and to show how our individual struggles are connected. We also timed this season with the primary election to illuminate how policies dictate the lives of Philadelphians and how important this upcoming election is to creating a Philadelphia that works for all of us. In this episode, the three of us come together to reflect on the season and discuss Reclaim Philadelphia endorsed candidates and how they align with our values. I'm pretty excited about this episode because all three of us are together. Yeah. I'm Le- I'm Leah Sorrentino. I'm Kelton Morton. I'm Sergio Saya. And we're recapping the end of the first season of Our Political Moment. I thought that we should take the time to talk about our favorite parts of the season, things that we got involved in, surprises, excitement. <laughs> I learned a lot. I think the thing that comes up right away, though, for me is the personal stories. Yeah. Like, I loved hearing about how Kendra got involved in organizing. It was super badass. You know, I was just like so impressed with her and inspired. Fact wise, like learning, I, was, I learned a lot from Christy Clark about housing and what's messed up in our city and what solutions are possible. So, that was, those were highlights for me. With the stories, I didn't realize how much I had in common with everybody that we interviewed and talked to about, especially for topics that felt very foreign or difficult to see a connection. In our last uh, housing episode, it turned out that me and Stacey Moore had like a lot of similarities because of childhood trauma of homelessness. Even before the episode we started recording, I was like, I can't believe how many things that I thought were just like personal quirks or personal sadness. The things that define their personality that you think are so unique about yourself that really there's these outside scenarios that pushing us all to have these experiences that we won't talk about together. Mm. And it was an opportunity to, a little bit of like a therapeutic opportunity. Like the box, the box story really, oh, I remember really? that connect. Yeah. yeah. It's weird because I've been keeping things in boxes from moving so many times. It didn't even dawn on me that other people might be doing this. Like this mm-hmm. clinging to like, I have to keep my stuff and nothing is permanent. And <laughs> <laughs> I loved hearing about Kendra too, so I'm glad you brought her up. I love talking to Miguel. Mm-hmm. I feel like he really did a good job of connecting the fights we have in immigration to much broader issues like the criminalization of black and brown people in Philadelphia. I'm just really excited about all the people that we got to talk yeah. to. I love the happy accident of the, the Dignity Act episode coming before the immigration episode because I thought it was a really great opportunity where we were talking about the mass incarceration of people, specifically women, and then Miguel highlighted like immigration and incarceration of mm-hmm. and detention of immigrants is the same fight is mass liberation that was not planned everybody that's listening (laughs) like that was amazing organizers who understand like how intersectional all this work is Mm. and even though we took the time to focus specific episodes on particular dominant narratives and structural oppression that the work itself always pushed to this blended experience I don't think that there's one episode that you could say this is a singular problem affecting right Mm -hmm. only a singular group of people there's a lot of different struggles intertwined 
Has there been any surprises to you, Kelly and Sergio, who have been really involved in organizing with Reclaim? Kelly from the start, Sergio for a long time. You had personal connections with a lot of these people that we had the opportunity to either interview or hear stories from. Was there anything that you maybe didn't know either about that person or about that struggle, that fight? So for me, I didn't know a lot of these people specifically, but I've worked alongside them in coalitional spaces. These are people who share the same values and recognize that systemic oppression. And so we do find ourselves fighting together and we we know that we're more powerful when we're fighting together. That said, I learned a lot more specifically from these people by hearing a personal story and also hearing more specifically about the organizing work. And I'd say that happened in each episode. I don't think there was an episode where I listened and was like, oh yeah, I knew all of that, you know. And just out, not talking about the organizing, not just the personal stories. And it always like really grounded me again and again in the work that this is a huge thing. It is so worth doing and it's so necessary for all of us yeah and and for me i'm just i'm just excited about the coalition effort through all this that's what's really great about learning for folks specifically working in these areas because they get to see have a very different kind of angle and view of these issues that we're talking about i'm really glad that we talked to folks doing the work in immigration doing the work around mass liberation things that i'm not specifically involved in right now I'm like more electoral focused at the moment it always helps to get the other person's perspective on these issues I think one other thing that surprised me is I didn't know Rick and Medusa were such amazing musicians (laughs) (laughs) like that was like they sent me that track I was like you have to be kidding me this is so good I just want this playing on loop (laughs) the music throughout the whole season has been a really shining point and pairing like all of the great musicians from Philadelphia with their concepts and content to whatever we were talking about in each episode. As somebody who did the production for each of these episodes, it was so fun to pair up and think like what really set the tone and embodied the stories, the work, the concepts, especially for the first episode we did where we lifted up Akeem's story and Paul's and my own, where each song that Sergio was able to find from these different musicians in Philadelphia, I was like, oh, this is perfect. And there was just a lot of really serendipitous moments of figuring out how to pull this podcast together. And there was all these little pieces that made it feel much more polished or calculated than I think that any of us thought would come together. I'm just glad that we got to have like Philly flavor in all parts of this podcast. There is also the added perk that Leah has a story for every episode. (laughs) (laughs) Not immigration. (laughs) Yet. (laughs) I don't think it'll happen. But speaking of Philly flavor, you said that you, Sergio, you you and Kelly have been pretty deep in the electoral work. One of the things that we've built up to move to the end of this season is moving into the primary election that's happening on May 21st and really thinking about how the structural oppression and dominant narrative that we've highlighted within this season, this podcast, shape how Reclaim looks at 
who should be the candidates that we endorse as an organization, who are the people that we are going to get hundreds of volunteers to go and knock doors for. And there's different things within this season that we've highlighted like education, affordable housing, mass liberation, immigration, but there's even other things that Reclaim has looked to to kind of shape who those candidates for endorsement should be. Kelly and Sergio, do you want to talk a little bit more about those areas? I think the the one thing that is probably the issue that I care about the most that I'm like or that I work on the most is investing in public wealth. Growing up in this city and seeing how what a neighborhood looks like and what its resources look like changes from block to block, especially as you go from North Philly to Center City. Some places are are invested in and other places aren't. And to me, that comes down to public investment in the public wealth, uh, in what we have that's there for all of us, whether it's libraries or schools, whether it's a bus line that will get you from where you need to be to where, where you live. These are really important things because they level the playing field a little bit in a world that's so full of this structural oppression and make things available to everybody. And it's not something that you have to fight for, it's something that you're given because you are part of the public. And it's something that I think brings us all together. And what we see is that everything's being privatized. Even our water, there's been pushes to privatize public utilities like water departments and and PGW has definitely been like threatened with privatization. And there are candidates in this race who are fine with uh, privatizing our utilities. And that's something that I abhor. I'm like terrified of that happening. And then people who are fine with privatizing our public education. We talked about in the episode with Kendra. And that's something as someone who's fighting for a public bank because I want our money to be our money and you know, be the resource of all of the people in Philadelphia. Having investment in the public wealth is is huge for me. So I did consider that when I was um, considering who to vote for for our endorsement. Throughout the season, we also talked about the need for supporting workers' rights and increases and changes to police oversight. But another big piece within this election is also how Philadelphia is going to address its role within climate change, environmental racism, things along those lines. And I know that that was an important part of what we looked for in a candidate. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we when we have a liquefied natural gas plant that's being proposed uh, in South Philly, and that's something that is infrastructure for fossil fuels, and it's not what we need right now. We need people to say no to any new development in fossil fuels and stop taking the easy road that's gonna lead us to total destruction of our planet and instead invest in other possibilities for a healthy future, for future generations, and also for the people who live around these plants. It's a destructive solution. And it's one that's incredibly short-sighted and it's just focused on making money for the fossil fuel industry. It's not something that can be part of any progressive candidate's platform for city council. I think with the upcoming election, there's so many things that I didn't realize that that city council and judicial candidates have an influence over. Listening to stories like we heard with Nayeli, who's a student who's fighting, who cannot vote mm-hmm. currently. She actually yeah, turned she, eight, yeah, she can. She turned 18 <laughs> yes. with the episode, but so many of her fellow yeah. students who could not, I personally did not realize. You hear about like the 10-year tax abatement. You think about it in just the context of like, is this a thing happening for developers? And that ripple effect that you heard in all of our stories, it wasn't just in the education impact. It wasn't just for housing and how all of these things and this upcoming election are going to impact all Philadelphians. Uh, None of these things work in isolation. And that's how we use these dominant narratives that we've outlined in trying to end them to 
focus on what candidates we should endorse. But like we need a lens because we have a lot of new faces that are running for city council at large. We use this lens of record relationships and rhetoric. So Kelly, can you break down what does that mean, especially for a candidate who already might be an incumbent like Helen Gim or somebody who is new to this whole fun game? Mm -hmm. So I'll say with an incumbent, we have more to go by. We can say, okay, what have they actually done? And in Helen's case, it's a lot of things that we love and we, we fought with her, right? With the first time candidates, that's when these three record relationship and rhetoric are really important because... We don't really have anything to go by other than how they're campaigning and what they're saying. And we all know that politicians, in always, will say what they think is going to get them elected. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I have never heard of... As, yeah, well, as someone who stayed out of politics for most of my life, thinking that it was all corrupt and there was no chance for any kind of hope, using this like way of looking at candidates to find the ones to back has been hugely helpful in like keeping me from being like, oh no, I thought that person was going to be great. Because it works. I'm going to start with, like for an incumbent, you want to start first with rhetoric, right? When I'm asking people, why are you running for city council or how, how do you see the criminal justice system or any of these things, I want to hear that they know about structural oppression and they see all of the problems that we're facing through that lens. I want to know that they recognize dominant narratives and they aren't going to trot them back out uh, and tell me to pull myself up by my bootstraps. You know what I mean? And I, that's what I'm looking at when I talk about rhetoric. So if somebody is going to talk to me about education funding, if they're going to make it seem like it's not a huge systemic deal that's been designed this way to disenfranchise people who've been disenfranchised throughout the, the history of America, I don't want to hear what they have to say. Those aren't my candidates, and I know that right away. Whereas the ones who recognize the structural oppression, I trust them to fight for it. And I trust them to keep that frame of mind and then respond to organizations like Reclaim who share that analysis. Then we get into record. So if somebody is you know, new, this is a first time for them running, what have they actually done? Even if it's just taken a stance publicly against something that is structural oppression. Um, have they actually taken risks? Have they been willing to cause tension that's necessary to bring truth to light? And have they taken stances that show that they would continue to do that as an elected politician? I don't need a politician who's going to take the safe side or the most popular side all the time if that's the side of the status quo that's gonna give us more of what we already have. Then we get to relationships. I wanna know who this candidate is in relationship with because that's who they're going to stay in relationship with likely after they're elected. Is this going to be social movements? Is this going to be labor unions? Is this going to be people who are working together in coalition for the future that I want to live in? Or is this going to be developers? Is this going to be private corporations, venture capitalists? Is this going to be people who are super wealthy and are trying to buy a politician to say the right things, maybe, but not do anything? to address the structural oppression that all Philadelphians are living with. So let's get into who has Reclaim endorsed for city council at large. I, we just already mentioned Helen Gim, mm -hmm. who is an incumbent. Mm -hmm. We have... Eddie Calamiron, who's been a longtime immigrant rights activist in the city. Then we have Justin DiBerdinas, who actually has one of the strongest uh, climate justice platforms that I've seen from any candidate this year. Uh, Isaiah Thomas is running. He's been incredibly involved in the community, and he's endorsed by 
the Democratic Party and, and lots of other people. Yeah. We don't hold it entirely against him that he's <laughs> endorsed by the Democratic Party. He's endorsed by tons of people, including a lot of labor organizations, right? So like that's something that I look to as a, as a relationship. I'm also excited that we have a labor organizer on the slate, Ethlyn Baylor, yeah. who's the vice president of our union. And has actually been to more reclaim earlier reclaim meetings than I have. Oh, she wow. Was, she was at reclaim meetings before I was officially a member. Yeah. Aside from producing podcasts and working on this, I also do a lot of reclaim social media. Any of the Instagram stories that you enjoy, except uh, for one week in May, have been... <laughs> I did that one week. <laughs> but it's been great seeing our endorsed candidates out with our canvassers and getting those pictures as well. It's really fun. And it looks very different than other candidates that I see who are running for at-large and for, uh, for wards within the city. I'm really excited that all these candidates have made the pledge to honor the People's Platform that was put together by the Alliance for Just Philadelphia includes things like completely ending the 10-year tax abatement, a moratorium on all charter schools so that we have more resources going to our largely underfunded public school system, an increase in oversight of the police, uh, and that comes to ICE also and, and what they're doing in our city. I'm really excited that we can have these folks on the record making these promises because hopefully once we get them in office, we can hold uh, accountable afterwards. Mm -hmm. And we can do that because we have relationships and they also have relationships with like people that we're aligned with. Um, and we also know that they've been active in the community fighting for this stuff for the past two, right? So like that's how these rhetoric, record, and relationship tie in. In a field where a large amount of city council at large candidates would say that they would do all these, I think that the candidates that we've endorsed are first of all most positioned to do it because of being parts of social part of social movements. And they're the ones that I trust most to do it because they've been they've been seeing this world and, and this community problems with structural oppression for so long. So in addition to all five at-large candidates that we just listed, Reclaim has also endorsed a slate of Court of Common Pleas judicial candidates. We have built as an organization a movement for mass liberation since the Larry Krasner campaign. Sergio, you were part of that and has seen like what that was and, and can talk a little bit about like what has happened since that campaign and how we've kind of moved towards the decision for those particular endorsements of judges. Part of the reason I ran for committee person is because these are races that people don't have a lot of information about, specifically the judicial candidates. So I was really excited that we made endorsements for the six vacancies on Court of Common Pleas. But the work goes back to when Reclaim members helped even recruit Larry Krasner and knock a lot of doors for him uh, <laughs> in a coalition with a lot of other criminal justice reform-minded organizations around the city. And that was unheard of. People did not think this candidate had a chance. The FOP came out strongly against him. And he was known for fighting for groups like ACT UP and Black Lives Matter. People said he was going to lose and he won. He won in a landslide versus in the primary and then in the general election as well. And we're just really excited to continue those wins as each election comes by. I, as I mentioned, I ran for committee person. I'm one of the committee people that Reclaim recruited to run and who successfully won along with 200 other folks. We have run folks like uh, Elizabeth Fiedler, who ran for state representative, and she won. We've had a lot of endorsed candidates that have been winning, and we're really, really excited that we are going to have some more wins this May. And yeah, even past Larry Krasner, when it comes to criminal justice reform, you probably heard Akeem's uh, podcast episode where he talks about the participatory defense hub that's been operating out of the King Sessing Recreation Center in West Philadelphia. I know Medusa also spoke about the work that they're doing on the Dignity Act to help women that are impacted by 
by the criminal justice system from inside and outside. And we recently joined with, as an alliance with a dozen other community organizations in West Philly to form the Judge Accountability Table. And we put the platform and questionnaires up there on reclaimphiladelphia.org, our website. You can check it out. And there was a form that I was very excited about because we had folks that were impacted by the criminal justice system uh, telling their personal stories and posing questions to the judicial candidates. And it was a really radical power reversal. Like last time these folks were in front of judges, it was a completely different story. So to have them saying, you have to listen to me and you have to answer my questions was really, really amazing to see. And based on how the candidates performed on the questionnaires that the JAT uh, created and and at the forum that the JAT uh, hosted, Reclaim Philly decided to endorse these candidates for judge and I'm excited. It's an all lady slate that I'm so stoked about, women of color and queer women like Tiffany Palmer, who is highly recommended by the bar. Uh, Not a prosecutor in sight on this endorsed list, which is what we were really excited about. We, we want f- to have judges that aren't solely fixated on incarceration because we know that that hasn't been working, it hasn't been solving the problems, and we need to find other solutions. And aside from Tiffany, we also have uh, Janine Mamasso, Nicola Seriani, Kateria McCabe, Wendy Barish, and Jennifer Schultz, and all of these folks have amazing questionnaires. They have really good background working for organizations like the CLS and the the Senior Law Center. I'm very excited to knock doors and canvas for them and offer folks real options because like I said, people don't have a lot of information when it comes to these races and it's re- and people have been thanking me at the doors being like, "Oh, good because I had no idea who I was going to vote for." And that's the problem. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> that's it's most Philadelphians. It's yeah. most Philadelphia. Yeah. Most Philadelphians are like, uh, "I'll just vote for the 6 folks straight in a row because basically that's why ballot placement plays such an important role in these things. But if we do demystify the process, if we have folks actually informed, they're going to feel so much better about who they're voting for because these judges will have an impact on people's lives. And we want to make sure that when we, if we're ever in front of these judges, we have folks that are looking out for our best interests. Something that Kelly said before we started recording was when she was canvassing, people were asking about, will the judges that we're endorsing, are they going to help support Larry Krasner? And hearing you tell that story just reminded me about how it's not about just putting one piece of the puzzle in place and thinking that that's going to solve an issue, that all of this work is happening happening in unison and all of these independent wins start to come together as this full platform that of movement candidates that we're trying to a have. whole squad that's what yeah. we've been saying yeah. we this whole yes. squad in there. I love it when you say that. <laughs> we need a squad but I think that's part of like our political analysis in general and when we we know that structural oppression isn't just one institution behaving badly in a way that is, you know, dehumanizing and undermining the value of someone. It's a whole bunch of institutions working together. And we see that so clearly in the criminal justice system where it's, you know, for-profit prisons and it's a judge who has inherent bias and thinks that people should get over whatever their problem is or is not sensitive to a drug addiction or homelessness or something like that isn't looking at the larger picture of what communities look like right now. The intention of this podcast and this season is just focusing this work around empathy and looking for candidates who are empathetic to not just their experience, but the experience of others and how we're all in this fight, we're all in this structural oppression together. Some more affected than most, but all boats have to rise for us to move forward and be connected and have communities that support one another. And all of us in Reclaim wanted to take a moment to thank all of the canvassers 
officers that have been knocking the doors in the rain, like today, on holidays even, to get these candidates past the finishing line. Because I know it's going to take all of us working together for us to accomplish these goals. We've had how many how many canvassers so? Six hundred fifty, and and knocked how many doors? Thirty six thousand. That's so much I know. <laughs> um, and we're gonna need a lot more in the next coming days because folks like Eddie Calmiron uh, and all, all these other candidates who don't have as much money as some condo kings out there <laughs> you know they, we're definitely gonna need all the help that we can get so please please sign up to canvas with us and we're, we'll be canvassing it's what we call GOTV and we get really excited about it it's the last four days before an election we need to do it to remind people that there is an election because while me and Sergio and Leah are really in this and like we live and, and breathe yes. to a degree. Leah also likes the Instagram first. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Sergio and I are like thinking walk lists and, and canvassing it like every day right now. Um, but most Philadelphians are like, wait, there's a primary and yeah. it's so crucial to have canvassers who are able to take three hours out of a day and go and knock on doors and, and make sure that people do vote. People are actually really thankful. I've had so many great conversations. It's such a good way to connect to your community, get to know your neighbors. That's the only way we're gonna be solving some of these issues if we're all coming together. And you know, when you talk to your neighbor and you say, this is an issue I care about and this is why I'm knocking doors for these folks, people really resonate. It's it's past the just go and vote, just go and vote. We're trying to have real conversations about the issues with people and learn about what they're thinking about and what, what's affecting them in their day to day and connecting it. I, I can't think of how many times I've thought about the stories I hear in the podcast and I and relay that at the door when I'm talking to folks and they it, it lets them open up about the things that they've been thinking about that get them past thinking about issues like potholes and litter, which I know are really big problems, but not as big when you think about how we have so many folks that are incarcerated, you know, how we how we have schools with ceilings caving in on them. These are the conversations I'm having with people at the door, and, and I think that everyone would benefit from having those conversations with people in their community. And I think it ties back to our first episode, which is that, like, our entire society, our government, all of our systems have been designed to benefit some people and, you know, directly harm a lot of us if and not separate most. and separate this movement the politics the canvassing all of this especially the candidates that we've chosen to endorse are a way for all of us to come together to fight for a city that does work for all of us and that's something that i'm really excited about. so we've said since the beginning of this podcast that the political is personal and please don't listen to six episodes and not go vote please Please. Please. <laughs> to see a full list of Reclaim Philadelphia's endorsed candidates, check out the blog, Is This Candidate Squad Material? We also have four days, like Kelly mentioned, to get out the vote. And now is time to sign up to Canvas. If you haven't signed up yet, sign up, sign your mom up, your neighbor, other people, get them to come out with you and knock on these doors and tell people what's important to you. We also want to thank you for joining Reclaim Philadelphia and the Our Political Moment team for this season. We hope that you've enjoyed listening to the these episodes as much as we loved making them. And until next season, go vote. It's not goodbye. It's just ta-ta for now. Thanks for listening to this season of Our Political Moment. This show is produced by Reclaim Philadelphia. Our team includes Sergio Sea, Kelly Morton, and Leah Devin Sarantino. The music for this episode is by Control Top, and you can find the full track on our website. Miss the rest of the season? Make sure to go back and listen to all of the episodes of Our Political Moment. 
We would love to know what you think of this season and thoughts for our future episodes. And finally, we can't wait to see all of our listeners at the polls, Tuesday, May 21st, voting for movement candidates. You can find a full list of our endorsed candidates at reclaimphiladelphia.org.